politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard and fight for our liberties anew to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Wednesday, July 14th. And we got a lot to talk about, as always. Too little time, too much on our plate. We're going to have a bunch of special guests uh, coming up. We'll have a special doctor to talk about COVID treatment tomorrow who is being prosecuted by the feds for actually trying to treat COVID, believe it or not. Um, And on Friday, we're going to have a special show with a victim of crime, um, a victim of murders. Husband was murdered and the perpetrator is getting out soon. So we have a lot of very important shows coming up. So today I'm kind of going to clear the decks of as many just random assortment of stories I can get to all through the prism of our title today, Turning Red States as Red as Blue States are Blue. The reason why red states aren't as red as blue states aren't, are as blue is because Republicans are not nearly as red as Democrats are blue. And the reason Republicans aren't nearly as red is because... You and I aren't as red as the other side is blue. We clearly don't believe in our views as strongly because we don't force the culture and the political climate in our area to reflect it. If we did, it would. And this is why both the politicians and the judges, the judges, by the way, they all rule with politics. This is how all the phony conservative judges are too scared to do anything. Even the better ones are too scared sometimes. Everyone saw how Clarence Thomas didn't want to grant the stay on the airplane mask mandate. It was, you know, we had an application directly to the Supreme Court. And it's rare they'll take it up, and usually they want to refer it to the other judges and not do so unilaterally. Um, Even though if it's in their jurisdiction, Thomas has control over Florida, where the lawsuit emanated the 11th Circuit. And, you know, but they, they don't want to do it. It's, it's rare they do it, and I understand that. But, you know, if we were as emphatic about it as the left is, I think we could make it happen. I want to go through some of that, some of the latest crime stories, some of the latest news about the clot shot, as it's now being called. I don't know who came up with that term, but I like it. The clot shot. I don't like calling it a vaccine because it's not. It really is not. Um, the clot shot from the spike protein uh, we got a lot of interesting stories out today. Floyd, the Floyd graffiti, they call a mural in Toledo, Ohio, was struck by lightning. One in 500,000 chance of anything being struck by lightning in a given year. By the way, four times greater than the chance of a child dying of COVID in a year. But anyway, I digress. Uh, God does have a sense of humor. And if we're not going to bring justice to the blood libels matter, then I guess God will. Um, Today's show, as always, um, folks, when you buy your gun, too many people neglect the accessories, and they matter. Because your ability to protect yourself is within a matter of seconds, and that's going to depend on the gun sitting properly and securely and strategically on your belt therefore you need a good edc tactical gun belt as well as a holster i recommend we the people holster starting at just 40 bucks 
custom-made, molded to fit pretty much any firearm that's on the market, um, whether you're right-handed or left-handed. I'm left-handed, um, and they've always had every firearm I need. Um, they have a lot of cool stuff on their website, all American-made, quality, propriety clips, the Kent and the Ride are both adjustable, and every holster and gun belt come with a lifetime guarantee. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. Put in offer code CR for an extra $10 off. Wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. Don't go without the proper holster. So, folks, just wanted to start off with something that I just see coming across the wires. I wasn't planning on talking about this. 93,000 drug deaths in 2020. I'll never forget when the number reached 60,000 in 2016. It shocked our consciousness. 70,000 2017. And then it did start to go down, finally, until COVID fascism came. Now, I guarantee you, folks, most of those 93,000 deaths and the excess 30,000 or so due to COVID probably were not among 80-year-olds. They were likely among people very young. So the years of life lost due to our response, again, proven to be much, much higher. And as a cruel punishment, how many of those deaths do you think were added to the COVID count because they tested positive for COVID? We all knew this was coming. We all knew it was true, but the data is finally out well into 2021 on the 2020 numbers, and I'm sure this year so far is tracking the same way. And truly, if you look at the data in, where is this, Ontario, numbers from Toronto out of Ontario, there are 5,535 total excess deaths in people under 65 years old. They say at least 4,155. Okay, so like three-quarters of them were not related to COVID in any way. In other words, in people younger than 45, the lockdowns were deadlier than COVID. And that's more years of life lost given their age. Again, just another one of the many illustrations of what we've been talking about that when you take a God-made plague, which actually is somewhat man-made from the very people pushing COVID fascism with the Wuhan lab, and you respond to it with a man-made plague, you make things worse. And that's the story of our government. The question is, what are we doing in the red states to make things better? As I've noted before, I, I, I'll, I'll keep saying this. The school board, sheriff, county judge, county prosecutor, state legislature, and gubernatorial elections, but beginning in the primaries in red states, are truly the most important elections of our lifetime. I was always saying, if if I could make a deal just to underscore how irrelevant Washington is, how irremediably broken, how it doesn't make a difference, if we go and have you know, people that are willing to fight for our cause at local and state levels where we have conservative majorities, we will win we, we will win autonomy in those areas. If we don't, then we're screwed and there's nothing we do at a federal level that's certainly going to help that. To to illustrate my point, let me tell you this. If I could make a deal with the devil 
the rhinos, the corporate horror Republicans, and tell them, look, you guys love power, so you're never going to relinquish it. And you're going to run all these lying ads saying how conservative you are to fool our voters. Let's make a deal. We won't challenge you in any federal race. You can have the House and Senate races and go to Washington and engage in your political sodomy with your Democrat buddies, which is what you do anyway, and knock yourself out. But leave us to run the races in the primaries for the general elections for governor on down. You'd be stupid not to take that deal. Now, of course, they're not going to offer it, but I'm just trying to illustrate to you. To me, it is meaningless, yet the entire focus of conservative media on Trump and Trump endorsements and people running, it's all on the federal races, and it makes no sense. I want to start out with an interesting story. Where is this? From Axios. It's kind of random. I don't know where they picked this. Supreme Court ideology is by the number. They actually looked at state Supreme Courts and they noted that Republicans control more than half of them. Okay, according to Ballotpedia. And they're saying it's going to matter for redistricting. Republicans are going to control redistricting. But, and by the way, this includes a number of either red states or trending states that for whatever reason, Republicans don't have control, but probably in the next election they could swing. Like Missouri Kentucky, Montana, surprisingly, and New Hampshire are listed gray as split or undetermined. Um, but And then Kansas is Democrat. Kansas is really bad. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, we know. But really, aside from a handful of states, Republicans could run the table. So why don't those states Courts reflect those values because Republicans suck. Why do Republicans suck? Because we do. (laughs) That's the truth. We don't force ourselves on them. Those elections are so important. And also the trial courts. I mean, and the county judges. County judges are usually elected. We have all these people letting criminals out left and right. They're Republican judges. Now, let me give you some good examples of what we need to do at a state level. You know, the Tennessee governor is awful. He needs to be primaried. But finally, they're doing some good things there. The Tennessee Department of Health announced that it will halt adolescent vaccine outreach, not just for coronavirus, but all diseases amid pressure from Republican state lawmakers. Remember how I noted that, you know, the states have their own departments of health. Rather than drinking out of the CDC toilet, and promoting tyranny, why don't they serve as a bulwark and put out legitimate science? But instead, in most red states, they're continuing to put out the garbage. So, this is good news. Finally, there's change. And this is how we self-separate. And also, in addition, New York Times is an article out on Tennessee firing the health commissioner. So this is good. This is progress. But you move over to Indiana and 
you have the Indiana public universities mandating mandating people take poison. And 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 it is definitely a poison for kids that young, college age kids. So the GOP super duper majority there is impotent in doing anything. The governor is a is a rhino dog from hell. And so they're left with nothing but a, a federal lawsuit. James Bopp, the famous RNC, you know, member who's a lawyer, he um he filed a lawsuit. And at one point during the proceedings from WNDU reports, Bop and Jay and Judge Damon R. Likety went back and forth over Indiana University needing to require exemptions for religious reasons, bodily autonomy, and the right to choose medical treatment. Okay? The judge, who is a Trump appointee, said with regard to bodily autonomy, there is no case law precedent set to establish bodily autonomy as a fundamental right and that it is a liberty. Thus, may not be a reason to scrap the vaccine mandate. And it's like, dude, every Republican-appointed judge dutifully enforces Roe. And they're like, look, that's Supreme Court case law. That there's a right to bodily integrity even when that involves killing another human life. Remember, there's different levels of the right to bodily in- integrity, bodily autonomy. There's three levels. Let me go from the least legitimate asserted right to the most. The least legitimate is when you're you're seeking a so-called right to privacy to access something for government to provide to you. You want government to take a positive action on your behalf. I want government to make this sort of treatment available to me. I want government to, you know, accommodate certain things. I want, like, for example, gay marriage, right? No one was regulating their activity saying you can't, you know, have a male partner and do whatever you want at home, engage in whatever sin you're going to do. No one was regulating that. It was they were coming to the state and say you need to redefine marriage and give us a marriage certificate. Well, no, I mean, you don't have a right to that. Then there's the the, the next level where um, you're not asking for an action from government, but government's not asking for you to perform an action against your body. It's in the middle. It's government is placing a negative on your positive action. We're regulating. We think this is in our interest, a state interest, for you not to do this. We want to prohibit you from doing this. So things like, you know, assisted suicide. We believe that's murder. We don't want you to do that. Abortion. We believe that's murder. We don't want you to do that. And nonetheless, there's 130 years of case law on bodily autonomy, but, you know, whatever it is, over 65 years since Griswold on a right to privacy and Roe v. Wade, a right to do what I want with my body, even if it's going to take an action and murder a baby. Now, I'm not saying I believe in that, but that is the case law. You can't even, I mean, it, it, it's nuts. Google Daniel Horowitz, whatever happened to the right to breathe, and you'll see 
just a smattering of case law. The article was was already like 1,700 words, so I, I stopped, but I could go on and on. I mean, it's endless, the case law on that. But what we're talking about is level three, which is I'm not asking for something from government. I'm not even trying to do something government is prohibiting. Government is mandating that I take an action against my body. I either cover my breathing orifices or I inject something under my skin into my bloodstream that has incontrovertibly been proven to cause problems. Right? That is the ultimate bodily autonomy that it's not just case law that some as conservatives we don't believe in, but nonetheless, a lower court Republican judge is always bound by that and always rules accordingly. But this is predating um, Roe v. Wade, all sorts of case law. And here we have a Republican judge like, I don't see a right to bodily autonomy. This is what we have. We have Republican judges and politicians that don't reflect our values because we've never asserted them on them, on them because, frankly, a lot of our people don't even know what it means to be a conservative. We're so caught up in vacuous talking points, we never properly vet these people. Moreover, they don't exist because we don't even rear them in our thinking because we don't promote our thinking. We always agree to the left on everything. So there you have it now. And folks, folks, this is why, this is why it is so important to just say, screw the courts. Because I'm just telling you, the courts are going to be a problem. They're not a help for us. And in the red states where we finally try to do some good stuff, they're always in our way. So going back to Tennessee, last week, a Tennessee a, a, a judge... No, I think it was a federal judge in Tennessee. Yeah, it was. I believe it was a Clinton appointee. Ruled against their bill banning castration, chemical castration for minors. So again, let's get this clear. I don't have the right to refrain from taking a negative positive action against my body but I have the right to demand the state give me access to castration as a minor. So I have the right to actively castrate myself and for a doctor to perform that for me, but I do not have the right to merely refrain from injecting myself with the clot shot, right? That that is the ultimate fundamental right. The bare bones is a negative. You know, Clarence Thomas always explained this well in his Obergefell dissent. It's 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 a negative. I'm not asking for anything. I don't want anything. Just just don't tase me, bro. And the courts have endless case law that the right to health and personal health decisions allows you access and and. You, you have to be, you can't be burdened and limited in any way. But we could just strap you down and inject a needle in you. And mind you, folks, 
boy, oh boy, is it bad, the stuff we're finding out. Crazy, crazy stuff we're finding out. Um, And, and what's shocking is like half the college-age kids already got COVID. And they're literally, meaning even if, if legally they could do this, of course they can't, but scientifically it's mentally ill. They themselves are admitting that the shot's not working. 40% of the breakthrough cases in both the UK and Israel, the two most vaccinated countries, were of people that had a prior two shots. Whereas with, um, you know, like I said yesterday, the Israeli data, with prior infection, it's infinitesimal. And again, it's, it, there really is no legitimate case of reinfection. I'm just going to quote to you some um, on-the-record quotes that both Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Cole sent me regarding this, you know, comparing um, prior infection to vaccination. Peter McCullough writes, in the case of well-documented patients with COVID-19 with the cardinal clinical features of acute illness and a positive nasal oral PCR antigen test, there has never been a confirmed second infection beyond 90 days with similar or worse cardinal symptoms and confirmed PCR antigen sequencing test. Meaning we have never confirmed a case of someone getting it the same or worse. Even the few cases of reinfection there are. The suspected reinfection cases in the published literature each contain a false positive PCR on one or more occasions. Database studies with prior ambient antibody testing are not sufficiently reliable to declare recurrent cases, but they do indeed indicate even in those with unproven original COVID-19, the presence of antibodies confer a very low risk of covid Conversely, vaccine immunity has failed with greater than 10,000 breakthrough cases that flooded the CDC this spring before CDC stopped counting them. The 17th UK variant report, um, June 25th, 2021, indicates in over 90,000 cases with the Delta variant, 42% have been vaccinated. So with no na- re- recurrent cases in COVID-19 naturally immune and a turn to vaccine failures, it is abundantly clear that natural immunity with the full protective armor of the antibodies, B cells, plasma cells, T cells, and natural killer cells is far superior to the limited narrow spectrum antibody coverage conferred by the now obsolete COVID-19 mRNA and adenoviral DNA vaccines. Clot shots. And explaining the mechanisms Ryan Cole explains that a natural infection induces hundreds upon hundreds of antibodies against all proteins of the virus, the envelope, the membrane, the nucleo, uh, um, capsid, the, the spike, all sorts of elements, dozens upon dozens of these antibodies neutralize the virus when encountered again. Additionally, because of the immune system exposure to these numerous proteins, our T-cells mount a robust memory as well. Our T-cells are the marines of the immune system and the first line of defense against pathogens. T-cell memory to those infected with SARS-CoV-1 in, in, is at 17 years and running still. Yes, our antibody levels drop over time. However, scientifically, the memory B-cells that make antibodies have been proven to be present in our lymph nodes and bone marrow. They're primed and ready to produce a broad array of antibodies 
upon viral re-exposure. Certainly, we may get a sniffle or a symptom or two, but this is a sign that our immune system is functioning and doing its program job. It would be physiologically, energetically impossible to maintain high antibody levels to all the pathogens we are constantly exposed to, and we would look like the swollen Stay Puff Marshmallow Man of lymph nodes constantly if the immune system were required to do that. Very important point from Dr. Cole. Like, all these sophomoric idiots... Um, you know, like I was saying, like the old Cosby show, kids say the darndest things. It's like doctors say the darndest things. They say stupid things. Even first graders though. hey, okay, let me dip it in. Antibody test. Oh, the levels went down. Waning immunity. Like, what? You're so stupid. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that with anything. You have freaking people like my parents that got measles in the 1950s, measles and mumps. And when we had the measles outbreak, they were like, People my age said, hey, I don't know if you got enough shots. You might want to get a booster. But they made it very clear if you were born, I don't know the exact date. It was something like before 1958. Um, and you had it already. You're, you're good to go, even though it was it was 60 years ago, whatever. It's forever. No one said get your titers tested. That's nonsense. Your body is not super primed for everything. It remembers the, the, the recipe. On the other hand, he notes a natural immunity is akin to have a full complement of blockers on the front line, whereas a vaccine immunity is akin to only having several of the which many may become paralyzed and deaf when the whistle blows and the now variant and the new variant is on the playing field. The antibody levels in studies seemingly appear higher at first post-vaccine, but drop as well, and eventually the memory cells are pointless when the play on the field is only focused on the spike. And yet, they could mandate this against the Nuremberg Code. And there's another important thing everyone's forgetting, and we talked about this yesterday. And that is, they absolve them of liability. This is that you can't have it both ways. It's okay to absolve liability if you want to have an emergency thing for, to make available for people. But even if you believe you could mandate anything, you can't mandate something that there's no liability for. The reason why failed vaccines failed is because they were sued. The reason why this is going on like the Energizer Bunny and there is nothing that can be revealed, no matter how severe and prevalent, that's going to stop it because there's no liability. You can't do that to people. Another Trump appointee. There you go. But that's the thing. In the red states, we're not mounting this campaign enough. Just starting in, in, in Tennessee that they're not going to quite market it to, to adolescents. It's a good start that needs to be expanded and done in every red state. That's our marching orders for the next legislative session. Unbelievable what we have here. The same way we've spawned a movement against critical race theory, we need that movement against critical COVID theory. It's like I saw the Utah Governor Cox, rhino from hell. He apologized for a vaccine data error. Like, just by a few points, he said 60% were vaccinated, but 67% had their first shot or whatever. And it's like, oh, you have to apologize. He won't apologize for lying about masks and lying about the efficacy and side effects of the clot shot or lying about um, hydroxychloroquine and blocking or not putting out information on treatment. But, oh, if he has, like, a tiny little error in data... On, on, the, on, the, on the sacred thing. Oh, and believe me, it's sacred. 
Believe me, it's sacred. Follow the freaking money. Do you know um who put this out? Stat News put this out. Very important revelation. That pharma funded more than 2,400 state lawmaker campaigns in 2020, um, according to stat analysis, it is the most prevalent of anywhere, of any lobby, anywhere. Pharma alone wrote checks to most legislators. 84% of Louisiana lawmakers, strong Republican majorities there, accepted from pharma. California was 82, Illinois was 76. There's your oligarchy right there. Speaking of Tennessee, I remember when we were trying to pass bills um, blocking so-called private businesses from mass mandates and um, vaccine mandates, you, you had these lawmakers totally bought out by big pharma. And this is the problem. Um, now, they, now it's funny. They quote an Oregon Democrat saying this is gross. And she's talking about drug pricing bills or something. Like, dude, it's your movement that's pushing this stuff. Self-awareness is dead. But they're everywhere. They are everywhere. Texas, many of those lawmakers receive it. It's Tweedledee Tweedledum. Red states aren't red. They're just a step behind the insane level of blueness that's being created anew every day, so they're still on yesterday's version of, of blue policies. But that's it. And then we'll move over to crime. They're bought out by the same criminal leniency industrial complex as the left. Why is it only Ron DeSantis of Florida talks like this? He gave a speech on Monday. He said anti-police rhetoric, but also importantly, he said weak policies are leading to the spike in crime. Um, and he noted that, make no mistake, the reason that you have such huge spikes in crime in many parts of the country is because not standing up for law enforcement, having weak policies when you're letting people out and you're not prosecuting people or committing habitual offenses. He gets it. He gets it. How many others do? You know, um, I was speaking, I had a long conversation with Nikki Goser. She is become a gun rights activist, works with John Lott, and she was the victim I was talking about from Nashville, whose husband was killed uh, in, a, in a restaurant um, by a stalker about 12 years ago. And he's slated to get out in seven years. Straight cold-blooded murder. Should have gotten the death penalty. So he'll be out after 19 and a half years. Um, it turns out... You know, she had a hell of a time fighting for a protective order. You know, just, just so when the guy gets out, she has a protective order against him. Because he's still, she's, he's still obsessed with her going after her and even something that minimal she she did it alone there were no advocacy groups helping her but she told me that at the same time the state senate there passed a bill to you know to let out murderers straight up after a certain age this geriatric you know release thing 
they passed it there. The stuff you're seeing in New York. Now, it didn't go all the way, but it's not just that they're not passing good stuff. They're still, even with the record crime, they're still promoting this stuff. AP article out, California homicides jumped 31% in 2020, most in 13 years. Um, homicide rate is, went up from 4.2 to 5.5 homicides per 100,000 people. And blacks accounted for 31% of all victims because California is more Hispanic. 45% were Hispanic, 16% were white. Now, California, most states is inner city blacks. California, you really have an illegal alien problem and a gang culture there that ropes in, you know, illegals. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is where we're at. And they sit and talk about gun sales, of course, AP, all the while forgetting that nobody serves time in California. But again... Pick out these other states, and I'll tell you, it might not be quite as bad, but it's bad. Meaning, a red state today, their views on crime are where the Democrats were in 2016. If that's what you call red, then we're screwed. What we need to do is go like bulls in China shops where we obtain control and audit every policy from crime to health to education, and use every tool at our disposal to harness that power and do what we want. You know, over the last weekend, I saw in Charlottesville, they tore down Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson's statues. And by the way, Robert E. Lee is a greater human being than anyone alive today in government. Lincoln admired him. The North admired him. Everyone did. People don't get. It's like all these loser, weak-kneed, pandering, racial pandering, phony conservatives. Look, yeah, let's do the Confederate things. And like, and now they're like, hey, they also tore down in Charlottesville the Lewis and Clark. Like, you idiot, you don't understand. They're war on. The Confederate monuments had nothing to do with this aversion to slavery. It was a war on American heritage. Because a lot of the Confederate monuments were part of Civil War memorabilia, which was America in the respect of the reconciliation. That we fought a war over slavery, and and, and, and we reconciled. It was brother against brother, and how Lincoln's dream of, you know, coming back together and healing as a country. The beautiful story about Grant and Lee meeting each other at Appomattox Courthouse. Uniquely American story. That's what it was. Everyone understood that. Even Democrats like Bill Clinton through the 90s. They themselves would often celebrate in Arkansas just certain recognition of Confederate generals and whatever. It was understood that. What they went through. Yeah, of course there were bad actors. But it started with King George and the slave trade. For most people in the South, my wife's, um, what is it? Her grandmother's grandfather 
What is it, served in the Army of, of Northern Virginia? He was poor as anything. He didn't, know, he didn't own slaves. Most of them didn't. There's a small number of people who owned most of the slaves. Lincoln recognized that. Grant recognized that. Heck, even Sherman and Sheridan recognized that. It was that reconciliation. I always say it truly is tragic. People don't realize how tragic Lincoln's assassination was. It literally led to, you know, the punishing of the South, the, you know, moving in a different direction than Lincoln wanted to because of the retaliation and then the blowback, which was Jim Crow and, the, you know, to the carpetbaggers. And that led to the denuding of state powers because of the overkill with the Civil Rights Acts that, you know, violated the Constitution and, and to where we are today. Lincoln, had Lincoln been allowed to survive, we would have had that organic healing um, in society. It truly was a tragedy. Um, you know, you have revisionists now on the left that hate Lincoln, and then you have some people, whatever you want to call them, neo-Confederates that, you know, thought of Lincoln as the enemy. But the truth be told, Lincoln was really the greatest friend if you wanted the South to, to thrive and... Um, Anyway, I didn't mean to get off on a Civil War tangent, but my point is we need to tear down their crap, their monuments, their curriculum, their health edicts, their mandates, their regulations. But instead, you go to one red area after another, whether it's the legislature, whether it's the agencies, and whether it's the courts, when Republicans should control all of it, they reflect in some level what the left is doing. So... You know, you know, like one of the big things, someone sent me an email from Iowa, a very important point um, that he noticed. We think of California and New York City as overrun with illegal aliens. And I've done a lot of shows on this. But you also have it in the rural areas with agricultural workers. They're everywhere, and they're changing the culture. They're changing the, the safety. I mean, they're, they're harming the safety. You've got drunk driving on rural roads in some place because you've got ag workers. And... He mentioned to me, you know, because he is a college kid from Iowa listening to the show, and he mentioned something I haven't really given much thought to, that, you know, everyone focuses on cheap jobs, oh, jobs Americans won't want to do. But it's stupid because there's a lot of different Americans, meaning there's an, a guy with, you know, three college degrees who has 30 years of managerial experience. Well, yeah, he's not going to be working those jobs. But there's high school and college, part-time, you know, people seeking work. And he noted that in these places you used to have, you know, the college kids would do some of the work. No more. That's completely boxed out. And what is it doing to some of the work ethos of our youth? You know, that's how a lot of people made their way. Even a lot of people that appear to be very rich and famous often started out doing that. And that was really the American way. So by importing a permanent underclass, you're actually, you know removing that organic socioeconomic climb that was America. Because that was the whole thing of America. There is no permanent underclass unless government makes it that way. But naturally, it, it, it isn't without government creating monopolies. And now they're doing that. Either permanent welfare holding people down, and then also with, with the permanent flow of illegal aliens. But that's happening in all these red states. And just like all of these whores 
in Republican politics in red states lobby for big pharma. They lobby for the criminal leniency industrial complex. They lobby also for big ag, and that includes not just the stupid pharma subsidies, but also um, the other form of subsidies, which is the slave labor. Speaking of abolishing slavery, we haven't really done that. That's the joke. But anyway, I just wanted to go back to um, some of the crime stories. Just how bad things are today. There's this radical concept promoted by the Koch and Soros Alliance on the phony right and the left, which is called Ban the Box. And one of the many ways they want to take off the stigma of criminals, they want to ban the box on the application where you have to self-report your criminal history for a job. And they continue every legislative session. Republicans and legislatures are pushing this left and right. And indeed, if you remember, I reported at the time, the Trump administration, Trump now says he regrets signing on to jailbreak. Well, a day late, a dollar short. And I'm not even confident if he got a second term, he uh, he would change. But the Trump administration snuck in with the Democrats an entire bill that was being blocked by Tom Cotton um, to ban the box, basically on federal taxpayer-funded jobs, unless it requires a security clearance, you cannot ask for criminal history. And that includes government contractors, private contractors, by the way. They stuck it into the December 2019 NDAA. Unbelievable. 5,000-page bill. Tom Cotton didn't even know it was in there until the bill was signed into law. That's the oligarchy. Well, in New York, it's gotten so bad that the New York City government is blatantly hiring sex offenders. This guy, Jeremy Soto, he was caught exposing himself to a mother and a toddler in a Manhattan playground, then urinating on the street, and then he lied down in the middle of the street and fondled himself. Now, you might think, okay, well, that sounds like one of these like homeless cases. No. This was a guy that was on duty in uniform, a parks worker, you know, like a city park worker. And he was arrested, and he wasn't even caught till two days, two days later, allegedly grabbing a woman in a Bronx subway that's having all the subways and really just sexually assaulting her. And it turns out, when they caught him, he said he was high on PCP, and that the city really, they knew about this. They knew about this. He has 15 prior arrests dating back to 2003, and just in January, he was charged and pled guilty to twice grabbing the rear end of a woman walking near that same park. And he applied for this, new. he worked on and off for the city since 2016, Despite this, and then this latest job he got at the end of February, fresh guilty plea on sexual assault. They know about this. So the New York Post um, interviewed this Parks, whatever they're called, uh, Parks Department uh, spokeswoman. And she actually said that Soto did not divulge the rest of the application. And she said, we do background checks, but 
having a conviction doesn't automatically disqualify a candidate. Okay? That's what she said. So either they didn't do a background check, which is hard to imagine, or more likely they did and they were fine with that. That's what criminal justice deform is. I, I want to make it very clear. This is not about low-level offenders because they don't they're not punished. The high-level ones aren't punished. So certainly they're not. They don't believe there is anything wrong with rape, murder, robbery, assault. Put 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 drugs on on aside. Put vagrancy and this other put that on a shelf for a moment. They don't. They want a lot of times they can't come out and say it that strongly, but that's what it is. Politico even did an article two years ago on how ultimately their goal is deincarceration. They don't believe in incarceration. It's abolish prisons. They don't believe in it. And Republicans in red states have bought into this hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. And, and look, we've had these cases in New York. I wrote a column. New York City has basically become a sanctuary for sex offenders all over the place, everywhere. Um, women being grabbed in broad daylight. Broad daylight. And I guarantee you, barely anything will happen. You know, the ones that grab them, tackle them, but, you know, maybe didn't complete the crime fully. Barely anything will happen to them. Certainly they'll be out on bail. Three years later, they'll get a suspended sentence or something. That's where our system has become. Utter disgrace. You know, it's funny. You're having this um, crazy jailbreak story. I got I to gotta tell you guys, even at a federal level, so we're all told like insurrectionists or revolutionary is grounds to hold someone without bail. So here's a real revolutionary, real revolutionary for you. Let me introduce you guys to Eric James Reinbold, lived in rural northwest Minnesota. And this guy's actually white. You know, we know if they're black that obviously, you know, you can't serve time, but he, he's white. And in he his history was as follows. I don't know, you know, all of his priors, but what's relevant to this discussion is in 2016 he was arrested and and it was a very like like a long standoff with with the cops there in Pennington County, Minnesota. He rammed a car into a sitting car that had his wife and his kids in it. So he was trying to kill them. And it led to a 12-hour standoff with police. This happened in June 2015. He was arrested, and I don't know whatever happened to him. It doesn't look like he served state time. It might be because the feds got a hold of him on weapons charges. He was caught making homemade pipe bombs, and he had a whole manifesto planning a revolution and killing cops and encouraging people to gun down teachers and listed the weaponry that included gun, a knife, and rape. So a real dangerous guy. He was given five years in federal prison. Halfway, halfway through it, 27 months, he got COVID jailbreak, but it was the most unique case. He said his wife has COVID and she needs help with childcare. Now, mind you, he is 44. 
So I doubt his wife was older than 44. She could have been younger. And I don't think COVID was much of a big deal for her. It's not like he was 80 and had COVID and was released or might get COVID, like like the other cases. No. His wife was his ticket to get out. He was let out. 50% through the sentence. Last Friday night, he allegedly killed his wife. He's still, as of yesterday, I haven't checked today, was a fugitive and the cops are looking for him. Killed the very wife that was his excuse, his meal ticket for getting out. Folks, that is a perfect metaphor for jailbreak. It kills the very people they say they're there for. They they call it compassionate release. The guy got compassionate release. Presumably to help his wife. He killed his wife. Until we have a Republican Party, and preferably a new party, up and down county state levels, running on this issue. You got to find out and corner your sheriffs, your county prosecutors, and really importantly, the county judges. They're almost always elected. They need to be cornered where they stand. Do you believe in criminal justice deform? Do you believe we have an under-incarceration problem or an over-incarceration problem? We need to know ahead of time where they stand on that. We have not done a good job of that. At all. Not a good job. I don't think we focused on that at all. But this is where we are. All of the high-profile shootings recently were repeat violent offenders out without even having been prosecuted on the first attempted murder or whatever, and they commit more. We have to do better. We have to believe in our hearts and soul in biblical values. We say we do, but we don't. You know, I, I, I joked around with a friend yesterday. I said, you know, the difference between a Republican politician and Democrat politician on crime is a Democrat will say, we need to let criminals out of jail because Soros said so. A Republican will say, we need to abolish prison because... Jesus said so, and I'm a Christian. That's the only difference. Get your COVID shot because Jesus would have wanted that. Let in illegal aliens and Muslim refugees because Jesus would have wanted that. That's essentially the difference. They're the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's all embodied in, in that example I keep throwing out to you with that piece of garbage Jim Justice governor of West Virginia. Rather than having some sort of liberal arts lottery for teens getting clot shots, he had a raffle for a pickup truck and a gun to get the clot shot. And, and we've been happy with that. We've been suffice that that's enough to, to constitute a red state. This is my goal. It's hard. I need help. I need every one of you to sign up at conaction.com, particularly if you're in a red state for a team. And I need you in the comment part there to tell me if you are willing to be one of the team leaders. We usually have two or three that will commit to having a faculty training. I'll give them the names of those signed up. 
will create a legislative agenda, an electoral agenda. You prepare for your first meeting. You meet the people, test their strengths and weaknesses, and create subcommittees and teams. You deal with legislative affairs. You deal with media. You're going to deal with this issue, that issue. And it doesn't have to be so formal. And you raise hell on the as many issues as you can and as many elections as, as you can in your respective areas. And hopefully over time we have enough, and we already do in a lot of states, to have regional. So, you know, you could really focus. Everyone works together on the big statewide issues, but then, you know, different county and local issues. Um, you'll have North South Carolina, South Carolina. Um, you know, Texas will have a number of teams. I've been a little bit slow. It's it's a daunting task organizing this, but we got to get this off the, you know, the cutting floor. We got to get this into the manufacturing stage. We really need to prepare at least, you know, my goal is for January's legislative sessions to really be pedal to the metal. But again, I mean, the pressure is not just during the legislative sessions. Um, the county governments are always kind of operating. Elections and primaries could always be run. Pressure could always be built all 365 days a year on your state and local officials on a given issue. Uh, th- there's a lot to do. If you are in a red area with elected Republicans who fear their voters, you have a lot more power than you think you do. Until now, we thought we had to get involved with Washington and Congress and the president to make changes and local issues is just garbage collection or something. No, you fight the civilization battles at a local level. That is the way it's going to get done. Um, and, and again, I mean, show me that place where we have biblical justice and I'll move there because right now that place doesn't exist. But given the climate of how radical the left is and how feisty our people are and the opportunities we have, we've never been closer to having that ability to creating true red states. And that is true red, white, and blue as it was intended to be. And I'm going to need your help. So again, conaction.com, sign up. Uh, Again, we're going to have a special guest tomorrow. Send this show to 50 of your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.